Would you open your Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 45? Genesis, chapter 45. And I'm going to ask you to open them now and keep them open. And I'll be back in a minute uh, to read from verse 1. But I thought I should bring you up to date uh, on the life of Joseph. Some of you were here last week. You know that I'm doing definitive uh, moments in the lives of certain Old Testament people. And we saw the definitive moment in Joseph's life last week, and that is something that happened to him. Uh, that's when his brothers took him and sold him to the Ishmaelites, never expecting to see him again. But what I'm going to do today is to show you another definitive moment in the life of Joseph. And the difference between the one last week, the one this week, is last week he had nothing to do with it. But what we see today, he had everything to do with it. And so most definitive moments come when it's out of our control. They, things just happen. Take 9-11 uh, as we refer to it in America. Uh, when uh, the New York City buildings were crashed into by the airlines, and it was the, the day the world changed, a definitive moment. It just happened. Uh, you can't make that happen. It just happens. And that's the way most definitive moments are. But today, this is something that we can all make happen. And the question is, will you make it happen because you choose to do what Joseph did. I'm going to preach to you on total forgiveness. And I have to tell you, it is an act of the will. Don't wait for God to knock you down. It's a choice you make. What happened? These brothers took Joseph. They hated him so much. They were going to kill him. But they decided to sell him to the Ishmaelites, and they never expected to see him again. Now, Joseph always knew that he would see them again. Those dreams that he had, which he should not have told his brothers, were of God. And he always knew that one day, these brothers would bow down to him just like the dreams. He always knew those dreams would come. But he thought that those dreams were given to him so that one day he could look at those 11 brothers and say, gotcha, and make them squirm. And he could throw the book at them and get vengeance. That's what he thought. The dreams are now about to be fulfilled. They are bowing down to him. But instead of saying, gotcha, it's a new Joseph. A Joseph who is now broken and could be trusted. He is now prime minister of Egypt. The brothers have to come to Egypt to buy food. They have to go to the prime minister. They do not have a clue that it's their brother. It's been 22 years. 
And Joseph is speaking through an interpreter. They have no idea that it's their brother, but he knows who they are. And now the moment has come, dreams fulfilled. But instead of saying, gotcha, he breaks down, he sobs. Verse 1, then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. And Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed, and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you, to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. May God be pleased to bless the reading and the preaching of this, his most holy and infallible word. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Holy Spirit to be upon every mind in this place in order that their perception of what I say will be received and understood as you intend May the blood of Jesus be sprinkled on my tongue that I might be cleansed, that I might be your transparent vehicle to convey everything you want said, nothing you don't want said. I ask, Lord, that this will be a life-changing morning, that everyone here will never be the same again and may this bring great honor and glory to your name. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The message that I am to bring to you this morning was born in what was at the time the worst moment, the darkest hour that my wife Louise and I had ever gone through. It was during our five years, sorry, five years, Five years at Westminster Chapel. Would you believe 25 years at Westminster Chapel? Those 25 years, uh, as Charles Dickens put it, were the best of times, the worst of times. They were not happy days on the whole. We owe 
so much to those years. They were definitive years. But during that time, I went through the worst trial ever. And what happened, I think, was wrong, unfair, unjust. And I was bitter. I was angry. How could this happen to me? How could the Lord let this happen to me? An old friend from Romania, his name is Joseph Tzone, happened to be in London. And because I knew he wouldn't tell anybody, I decided to tell Joseph Tzone what they did. Now, if I'm candid with you, I think my motive for telling him, well, I'm sure it was, was that he might say, RT, you ought to be angry. I wanted him to justify my anger. Get it out of your system. I wanted him to, you know, commiserate with me, feel sorry for me. That's what I wanted. He just looked at me and said, anything more? I said, nope, that's it. I wasn't prepared for what followed. If I could narrow 25 years in London down to 15 minutes, they would turn out to be my finest hour. It's when Joseph Stone looked at me and said, RT, you must totally forgive them. For until you totally forgive them, you will be in chains. Release them, and you will be released. Nobody had ever talked to me like that in my life. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. I said, Joseph, I, uh, listen, I just remembered something. I really haven't told you everything. I want you to listen to this. And he just stopped me. R.T. And forgive this attempt to put it into a Romanian accent. I can't even come close, but I remember this much. He said, you must totally forgive them. (laughs) For until you totally forgive them, you will be in chains. Release them, and you will be released. I said, Joseph, I can't. He said, you can, and you must. Hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life. Almost certainly the hardest thing you will ever have to do And that is when you take on board what they did. You don't sweep it under the carpet. You try not to make them look good or justify them. You're not in denial. You know what they did was wrong. And then forgive them. You let them off the hook. Kiss vindication goodbye. And then on top of that, if you can take it, pray for them. And when you pray for them, you don't just say, Heavenly Father, I just commit them to Thee. (laughs) We just commit them to Thee, oh God. And you're hoping God will say, okay, you want me to kill them, don't you? 
That's not exactly what Jesus meant. When he says pray for your enemy, he means bless them. You actually ask God to bless them. You say, R.T., I could never do that. <laughs> I believe you. Hardest thing in the world. This is going right against nature. Because the most natural feeling in the whole world is when you have been mistreated, maligned, lied about, hated, and when they want to do you in, and then you turn right around and bless them and ask God to bless them, you talk about a 180-degree turn. This is when you cross over into the supernatural. I have to tell you, few do it. A lot may do it the first day. But today we're going into open heart surgery. Except I'm not sure there'll be an anesthetic. You're not going to be put to sleep. <laughs> You'll be awake and you are consciously going to forgive them, I hope. Because we're going to have decision time before this service is over. And you make a decision. Yes or no? Do I forgive them? And my life will never be the same again. Why should you? This is the big issue. Why do this? Why bless your enemy? Why let them off the hook? Why? Well, for one thing, your health is at stake. You know, medical people have shown that holding a grudge can lead to arthritis, kidney disease, heart failure, high blood pressure. They have discovered that when you forgive, you get the blessing, not the one who gets forgiven, when you set them free. Non-Christian organizations have been raised up to help people to forgive. They're not using Jesus. They're not, it's not like my sermon today. They've, they've just shown the benefit is to the one who does the forgiving. Well, if the non-Christian can do it, where does that leave us? We're without excuse. And we know this is what Jesus taught. We just kind of say, yeah, well, we're, none of us is perfect. You need to realize that this is a serious, serious word. And you will be responsible for how you respond because God has come Today, you've shown up, and you know he's on your case, or you wouldn't be right here watching me, listening to me, except he's on your case. Why should you do it? Here's another reason. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, the Apostle Paul said, another reason for forgiveness is to keep from being outsmarted by the devil. I want you to think about this. This is a word I could spend several minutes on. I'm going to have to rush through it, but I just want you to know. Listen carefully. When you won't forgive and you hold a grudge, in that moment, you didn't mean to, you didn't mean to, but in that moment, you just gave the devil an open invitation to walk right into your life, and he'll come. I want you to know something. The devil is looking day and night for a chance to get in. He wants to rob you of joy. 
He wants to paralyze you spiritually. He wants to make sure you don't advance. That's the way he does it. He will play into your self-pity. He will play into the way they treated you. And it, it wasn't fair. We all agree. No one's saying what they did was right. The devil knows that. And he will say, see there? You say, well, in my case, God understands because I've always had a problem in this area. We all have this problem. Don't say it's because you're Irish or Greek or French or Welsh, whatever. This is human nature. Immediately, we want vengeance on the person who's let us down and who's hurt us. Why should you do it? Well, I could tell you why if... Here's anyone here. Would you like a greater anointing? Now, I don't know whether you want a greater anointing or not. To me, that's, that's what I want more than anything. If you want a greater anointing, listen carefully. You've come to the, wrong, to, to the right place. It would be the wrong thing to think that you could go on a 40-day fast and have a greater anointing. That may or may not pull it off. But I can tell you now, what I'm talking about today this is the way forward. This is the secret. And it's out in the open. For a greater anointing, listen to me. Now, the question is, how do we know that we have totally forgiven? If I were to ask for a show of hands, how many of you have forgiven? I'm sure hands would go up everywhere. I believe you. But I want to make a deal. And here's the deal. If I were to show in the next several minutes that you haven't totally forgiven after all, would you then do it? Because in the next 20 minutes or so, I'm going to show how to know you have totally forgiven, and then we'll have decision time. And you make a decision before you leave this place. All right, how do you know you've done it? How do you know you've totally forgiven your enemy, the person that hurt you, maligned you, all this unjust injustice? How do you know you have totally forgiven? Proof number one, you don't tell anybody what they did to you. Mm. But it comes right out of the text. You see, this is what we learn from Joseph. And this is what you can learn from Joseph. And if you want to be exalted as Joseph was, this is the way forward. Is there anybody here today? You've been waiting for your time to come. And you've cried out, how long? How long? How long? How long? And I've come to tell you today exactly how long. As long as it takes to bring you to the place God got Joseph to when he totally forgave his brothers for the fact that they were going to kill him and then let him die and then sold him to the Ishmaelites, never expecting to see him again. And by the way, do you know what? The brothers did, after they sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites, they had first yanked that coat of many colors off his back, 
dipped it in blood. And you know what the Hebrews says? What they did with that coat of many colors? It said they sent it to Jacob. They didn't bring it. They didn't want to face him, their dad. They sent it with a message. Uh, See whether this looks like uh, your son's coat. And then when Jacob saw it, he said, this is Joseph's coat. A wild beast has devoured him, and I will go to my grave in mourning. That's what happened. Well, you see, when the brothers took the coat of many colors off Joseph's back, they thought they've succeeded. They got away with it. Listen to me. The Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. They never expected to see Joseph again. And now, 22 years later, they have to come to the prime minister of Egypt. They don't have a clue. It's their brother. Him him speaking through an interpreter in Egyptian garb, members of the cabinet there. As soon as they show up, he knows the moment has come. And instead of getting to say, gotcha, he weeps, he sobs. And the first thing he says, everybody out. Suddenly, everybody out. So they don't know why. Cabinet <clears throat> tiptoes away, aids. Why did Joseph make everybody leave? I suppose the interpreter said, You want me to stay? He says to the interpreter, Out. And suddenly, Joseph speaks in Hebrew to his brothers and says, I'm Joseph. Joseph. Is my father still alive? And these brothers are terrified. The very way he wanted them to feel for years. And now, when they're terrified, he says, come close to me. It's a new Joseph. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones once said to me, the worst thing that can happen to a man is to succeed before he's ready. And if God has withheld success from you, it's a blessing. He would not want you to succeed before you're ready. Because if you, in this moment, with that bitterness, anger, get what you want, then woe to the people who have to suffer you. God has spared the world of what you would be like if at the moment he promoted you. God made sure that Joseph was not exalted to this position until it was a new Joseph, free of bitterness. The first thing he does, he says, everybody out of the room. Why did Joseph make everybody leave? Well, he's got a plan. He's going to get those 11 brothers to go back to Canaan, bring their dad and all the family, and come and live in Egypt. He wants to make sure nobody in Egypt knows what those brothers had done to him. 
He knows that he is a hero in Egypt. He wants his brothers to be heroes. He knows that if the word leaks out, what they did to him, every Egyptian to a man would hate those men. That's the way he used to want it. You see, the first thing we want is for everybody to hate those who've hurt us. This is why we tell it. Joseph is going to make sure. So the behind closed doors, nobody else would know. Total forgiveness is when you tell nobody what they did. Tell the Lord, that's all right. Pour your complaint out to the Lord. Psalm 142. He, he likes it. it. I'll tell you when he likes it. You want to hear this? When he's the only one you tell. You see, when you've blabbed it to the world, and then you tell the Lord, he's not in on anything new. You know the old spiritual that came out of Alabama and the day of the slaves in the cotton field? Remember this one? Nobody knows the troubles I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. That's the way Jesus likes it. You don't tell anybody. Tell him. There are two exceptions. One, you need to tell one other person for therapeutic reasons. <laughs> I told Joseph's own. Wrong motive, but God used it, and he put me right. The other reason. We had a lady come into the vestry at Westminster Chapel, and uh, she said... Uh, they have found my rapist. So, well, they want me to testify in a court of law. I said, well, you must. Well, Dr. Kendall, you've taught me to forgive, and I've forgiven him. And if, if he is found guilty, he'll be sent back to a Middle Eastern country, and he will be beheaded. And I've forgiven him. I said, I believe you. This is wonderful. I'm so proud of you that you've forgiven him. But you must testify. You will be obeying the law. Just tell what happened. Leave it to the rest. It's not bitterness. It's not anger on your part. You, you've forgiven him. So she did. Because the exception is a crime must be reported. You're not doing it out of vengeance. It's different in that case. What's the real reason we tell it? Somebody hurts us, we're on the phone. Well, here's what they did to me. Why? You want to turn everybody against them. This is your way of getting even. If asked, well, what about the verse that says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, we tend to say, well, I know that, Lord, but you are so slow. <laughs> Total forgiveness. Proof number one. You don't tell anybody what they did. Proof number two, you don't let them be afraid of you. Don't let them be nervous around you. Maybe it makes you feel good. They were terrified. That's what it says. They were terrified. 
And for years, Joseph would have said, good, I love it. But now, here they are, terrified, handed to him on a silver platter. You know what he says? Come close to me. Come close to me. He just wanted to love on them. The very man that hated him. He just wanted to love on them. The new Joseph. God's wanting to turn you into a new person where you can love your enemy and bless them. Proof number three. You enable them to forgive themselves instead of making them feel guilty. Listen to this. This all comes out of the text. Verse 5. Now do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for sending me here. Have you ever said to somebody, well, I forgive you for what you've done, but I hope you feel bad about it. (laughs) Well, why, why do you want them to feel bad about it? Well... Hmm. You don't have to forgive them until they're sorry. Really? Where did you get that? I seem to recall that Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they've done. They don't even know. You see, what gets you, what gets your goat, what annoys you, is they don't know how hurt you are. So you feel this need to go up to them and say, I forgive you for what you've done, which means you haven't. And by the way, if this sermon should get to you and you feel convicted, when the service is over, don't go up to somebody and say, well, in the light of R.T. sermon, I forgive you. (laughs) They will look at you and say, for what? What have I done? You say, well, you know. (laughs) Sorry, but I I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, you do know? (laughs) Well, I don't. Well, you should. (laughs) And now you've got to fight, which is just what you wanted. It just, you can't bear the thought that they don't know how hurt you are. When you forgive them because they are sorry, no victory for you at all. Even a wicked man can suddenly feel soft because soft words turn away wrath, even in the the world. It's no sign of any virtue that you forgive them when they're sorry. Anybody can do that. The victory is when you forgive them. They're not sorry or they don't know what they've done. Jesus could say, Father, forgive them. They don't know. He's actually saying, Father, forgive them. And by the way, do you expect to see those people in heaven Jesus prayed for? I guarantee what Jesus said, Father, forgive them. He wasn't just putting on a show where everybody would say, well, isn't that lovely? Oh, no. He was praying for them. The very people that nailed him the nails. Look for them in heaven. Jesus prayed for them. So when you pray for them, you count on your prayer being answered. That's what Jesus did. And by the way, don't expect them to say, I'm sorry. Don't expect them ever. 
Do you know nine out of ten people we ever have to forgive, you could put them under a lie detector, they don't even think they've done anything. The people I had to forgive, I promise you, their consciences were clear. They've done nothing wrong to RT. I'm sure of it. So what did you do? It happened here, right here. Never said a word to them, ever. It happened here. Total forgiveness. You don't tell what they did. You don't let them be afraid of you. You don't let them feel guilty. Proof number four, that you've totally forgiven, you let them save face. Do you know what that means? It's an oriental expression. You let them save face. That means you protect their fragile ego. You even make it easy for them, and you can give them a loophole whereby you can justify their hurt, and they don't lose face, they save face. In Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, you ought to read that book. It's not a Christian book, but just teaches you certain principles. And he's got a section in there, let the other person save face. Dale Carnegie says, you win a friend for life if you let him save face. That's the way God is with us. And that's the way Joseph was with these men. You know what he said? Listen to this. He said, it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land. For the next five years, they will not be plowing and reaping. I can tell you that. God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. These 11 brothers are looking at each other. Did he say, we didn't do it? God did it? Naphtali says to Dan, Dan, I'm not sure I heard right. Sounds like he said, we didn't do it. God did it. Asher says to Judah, Judah, did I hear him right? We didn't do it. He said, God did it. And Joseph says, that's exactly right. You see, when Joseph had those dreams 22 years before, he thought they were for him. You see, when God gives us a word, we initially think it's for us. He couldn't have known that the wider kingdom of God was at stake. The whole of Israel, their future was at stake. So remember, if God shows you something, I'm going to be talking about that tonight. This is a word that I think has not been heard many times to people who think God speaks to them. Ever hear people say, the Lord told me this? Come tonight. Maybe you feel God has given you a word. And Joseph had these dreams. He thought they were for him. Oh, just barely. These dreams were for the very people that were in his dream. It was for them. When God gives you something, it's really from him. It's not just for you. It's for the greater glory of God and the church. And so, Joseph could say, 
God meant it for good. God meant it for good. And he says to them, it wasn't you who sent me here, but God, he let them save face. Proof number five, he protects them from their darkest secret. Well, what was that? Yanking that coat of many colors off Joseph's back, dipping it in blood, and then having it sent back to the old man with a message, see if this is your son's coat. What if Joseph had said to them, I'm going to forgive you, but one thing you're going to have to do, you, I'm sorry you're going to have to do this. What if he had said, you've got to go back and confess to dad? What if he had said that? I can tell you right now, they would rather die than have to do that. They would prefer death to having to go back and face their father. This is the beauty of this story. Joseph knew that. Do you know something? He won't let them tell the old man. He won't let them. He's very careful. Read the whole thing when you get home. He writes the script word for word. He tells them what to say when they get back. He won't let them tell that. And that's the wonderful thing. God knows. We've all got skeletons in the cupboard. We've all got them. God is not wanting to yank out the skeleton and embarrass you. No. You be that way. With that person who you could expose. Chances are you know something about somebody. Were you to reveal it, could destroy them. And they're scared to death. Any moment, you might tell it. Total forgiveness, you protect them. Assure that person nobody will ever know. Joseph protects them from their darkest secret. Number six, and this is the most important part of this talk. Total forgiveness is a life sentence. What's that? You have to do it every day of your life, the rest of your life. You see, the proof that Joseph had done this, 17 years later, Jacob, the old man, dies. And as soon as Jacob dies, the 11 brothers panic. And they come running to Joseph. And they said, Joseph, before dad died, he told us to tell you, please forgive us for what we did. Joseph starts to cry. He says, what's the matter with you men? I told you 17 years ago I forgave you. I forgave you then. I forgive you now. Don't worry. Here it turns out that Joseph, 17 years later, he's still forgiving them. Total forgiveness is a life sentence. It's like if your physician gives you a tablet and says, you'll have to take this the rest of your life. I've got one. I, have to, I took it this morning. I have to take it every day. First thing I do. Why do you laugh? You've got them too. <laughs> or you will. Life sentence. As long as I live, I have to take a 
uh, a pill for, I knew you wonder what it is, for acid reflux, Zotone. Total forgiveness is something you have to keep doing. You've got to do it today. You have to do it again tomorrow. Say, well, if I do it once, that's enough. Wrong. You've got a faulty doctrine of sanctification. If you think once is enough, you've got to do it day after tomorrow, too. A week from now. A year from now. Ten years from now. Don't expect them to change. Just because you're praying for them and you think, oh, well, I've prayed for them all these years. Total forgiveness is a life sentence. But here's where the anointing kicks in. This is it. When you keep praying for them. It's one thing to do it in a moment of inspiration. The real McCoy. The real deal. 24 karat gold. Is when you keep doing it. And that shows you meant it. Finally, total forgiveness is when you bless them. And that was Joseph. He says, you did mean it for evil, and he wasn't doing that to make them feel guilty. He was stating a fact. I know what you did. That was wrong. But don't worry. God meant it for good. And they were so afraid that Joseph was now going to go for them and get vengeance They couldn't have been further from the truth. He said, I will look after you. I will bless you. And he did. That's the secret of Joseph's anointing. That's the reason he was exalted. That's the reason God trusted him to be prime minister of Egypt. Who knows? Just maybe in this congregation is a future prime minister or the next Billy Graham for all I know. You've got the gift, you've got the talent. But at the moment, thank God he's not using you. You're not ready. But if you could come to the place Joseph was brought to by the Holy Spirit, then you could be trusted with greatness. And so you bless them. You bless them. Never will forget it as long as I live. I came into the pulpit at Westminster Chapel one Sunday morning, leading worship. And we're singing the great English hymn, Praise my soul, the King of heaven. Good. Forgiven who like him Praise shall sing, praise him, praise him, praise him, praise him, praise the everlasting King. We do pretty well together, don't we? We got to go on the road, RT and KT. I feel like I'm in a political rally. Well, I saw as we were singing that hymn, a woman in the congregation at Westminster Chapel, way in the back, 
who has done irreparable, emotional damage to one of our children. When I saw her, I just mouthed the words. I didn't sing them like we were just doing. I was so upset. Then I had to read the scripture. I don't know how I got through it. Then another hymn. And then the pastoral prayer. I wasn't even, I don't know how I prayed. I was only thinking of her. How could she be here? I was, oh. What saved me was offering time. When they take up the offering and I didn't do that, someone else did it. So I sat down next to the pulpit. Now what I'm getting ready to report doesn't happen to me every day. It only happened once. What I'm getting ready to report, you'll have to decide whether it was the Lord or not. I don't say this was a verbatim conversation, but it's pretty close. Went something like this. So, R.T., you're wanting to see revival in Westminster Chapel. Is that true? Yes, Lord. Good. How much do you want to see revival? Oh, a lot, really. Which would you rather have? Revival? Or for me to send judgment on that woman out there? Revival. Good. Pray for her. I pray for her. He said, that's not good enough. Ask me to bless her. Bless her. Say it again. Bless her. Say it again. Bless her. Do you mean that? Yep. <laughs> okay. So you're now asking me to bless her. What if I take you seriously and take you at your word and I answer your prayer and bless her? Lord, you wouldn't do that, would you? <laughs> but that's the point. That's the point. And I had to start saying bless her. Bless her. It was killing me. Bless her, because I knew God was going to answer the prayer. And if anybody doesn't deserve it, she doesn't. And God's going to bless her now. And to prove that I meant it, I had to start doing it every day, the next morning, every day. I would date my increased anointing to that moment. I remember when it was. I remember how many books I had published by then, maybe three. And please don't misunderstand this because this could be misunderstood. But I would just like to say that from that moment, I began to get more insight than I've ever had in my life. I began to write more books. I now have written dozens. They come back to that date. I'm not saying you will become an author. But you have got some gift that I don't have, and you've got a gift no one has, and it is only a matter of time that God can trust you to tap that gift to use you. My sermon is over, but wait a minute. I made a deal. 
I don't know if you accepted it, but the deal was, if I were to show that you haven't totally forgiven, after all, would you then do it? And I promised you that there would be decision time. It's come. This is it. You've heard my message. Question now, whether you will totally forgive everybody. And if you're prepared to do it, I'm going to ask you one minute from now, not yet, by the clock in 57 seconds, if you're prepared to forgive, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. You say in front of all these people, yes. Well, they'll, they'll know I've had a problem. Mm, yep, they will. Is it that important to you that you rather worry about what they think than to have the blessing of the Holy Spirit? Is it that important to you? So if you're ready to stand, don't stand unless by standing you're prepared to say, I won't tell what they did. He says, it's too late, RT. I've already done it. <laughs> don't do it anymore. I won't let them be afraid of me. I won't let them feel guilty. I will let them save face. I will protect them from their darkest secret. I accept this as a life sentence, and I will bless them. Five, four, three, two, one. If you're prepared to forgive them, stand to your feet right now. Don't clap. You that are clapping are the ones that should be standing. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. He's near now. Anyone else who hasn't stood, you want to get in on it, I'll wait 10 seconds. This time may not come around again like this. Don't let this moment slip by. No. Happens here. The only time you tell them is if they would love to hear it. If they would love to hear it, yes. But usually, we tell them when they don't even think they've done anything, and usually it's our way of trying to stick in the knife a little more. <laughs> so that's, you don't tell it. If they're begging for it, oh, say, I forgive you. That's different. Good question. I don't often get what I call helpful interruptions, but that was one of them. <laughs> now, what you've just done by standing is the easy part. What I normally do, and I have to tell you something, I have preached this sermon all over the world, I don't know how many times, between two and three hundred times. And every time I preach it, and I prayed this morning, let me preach this as though I had never preached it. I want to be fresh every time. And I felt the Lord's help. It was as though I never preached it. And that's the way I like to do it. 
And that way, you have this fresh response as you have shown. But normally when I preach it, I ask those that are standing to go to the nearest aisle and come down to the front. And we did it in the first service, which is not quite as full as this one. And even then, it was a mistake because the people that were in the gallery came down, they, couldn't, they all couldn't get in. So I'm not going to do that now. Normally, I would have you come forward. You say, why? So you won't forget it. You see, I could have seven minutes ago said, go home and pray about it. I would have done you no favor. I feel you should respond as you have heard it to say, yes, Lord. That said, we haven't prayed yet. And the reason I have people come forward is I want them to know that this is serious business because we're going to enter into a covenant. Now, a covenant in the Bible is a very serious thing. Did you know that every covenant in the Old Testament, they shed blood? They killed an animal. It's a no-joke thing when you make a covenant. Well, we're under the blood of Jesus, far more important than an animal. You are under his blood, and we're getting ready to pray, and I'm going to make you pray out loud. You might just want to pass. No one will know because I'm not going to look and see who's praying. Not between you and me anyway. Between you and God, the angels are watching. But if you're ready, here we go, out loud. Lord Jesus, I need you. I want you. I'm sorry for my bitterness. Wash my sin away by your blood. I forgive them. I ask you to forgive them. I bless them. I ask you to bless them. I won't tell what they did. I won't let them be afraid of me. I won't let them feel guilty. I will let them save face. I will protect them from their darkest secret. I accept this as a life sentence. And I will bless them. I bless them now. I set them free. I set them free. I set them free. Come, Holy Spirit. I give you my life. Thank you for your patience with me. In Jesus' name. Amen.